Hello, welcome to another uh, Pharmacy of Practice podcast. So we haven't had a podcast for oh, about a month or so. Um, there's been the small detail of um, coronavirus, COVID-19, that has kicked in, unfortunately. And um, I think all the superlatives of the day are, are rele- relevant um, in terms of how unprecedented the times that we find ourselves in. We've got on the line um, Andrea James, um, and you'll find her on Twitter at, at HealthRegLawyer. And uh, Andrea is a, a regulatory lawyer, um, and she advises doctors, pharmacists, vets, teachers, and other highly regulated professionals. Okay, here we go. This is this is a, a topic, Andrea, that has. Uh, shall we? How do I introduce it? Uh, very controversial in some quarters. Mm. Mm. Um, and it, and we're cognizant, like the like we've discussed previously that you know we are in unprecedented times right and shades of gray are gonna are gonna ebb and flow and we're gonna have to make uh, when i say we i mean practice and pharmacists are gonna have to make difficult ethical professional decisions mm-hmm. but this one this one in england is interesting this is the delivery service i'm talking about mm-hmm. so for those of those of uh, those of people who are listening that haven't heard basically mm-hmm. in in Scotland, my understanding is that um, this collection of medication and so on and so forth has more or less been organised by patient representatives who volunteer, th- and 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 it's been carried out through the health board. So the health boards are leading it. In England, it's slightly different. Mm-hmm. In England, this is a commissioned service. Well, there's two services mm-hmm. actually. So there's the the essential service, and then there's the mm-hmm. the advanced service. Mm-hmm. This, the essential service is largely where volunteers are being used to deliver medicines to the shielded group of patients, mm-hmm. um, and the advanced service is where basically the the pharmacy contractor does it. Mm-hmm. Now, before we dig the detail, what is your view, like? To use a management speak, what's your helicopter view of the delivery <laughs> service in England? Right. Um, so the, breath. The, Go for it. Yeah, the details of this were just published actually on um, Friday night. And as you said yourself, it, there's, there's two parts to it. So the terms of service for all contractors, except for distance selling pharmacies have been amended to introduce a new essential service. And under the new essential service, contractors are required to assist shielded patients, not all patients, specifically shielded patients, uh, to receive their medicines. So for example, how the contractor has to do that is by explaining to the patient how they would identify a local volunteer to collect their prescription for them. Um, And all pharmacies that dispense uh, 101 or more prescriptions per month will get a payment for that new service and the minimum payment is £34 up to a maximum of £563. It's it's done, the monthly payment depending on strict volumes. But then in addition to that, under the new advanced service contractors, and again this excludes your distance selling pharmacies, will also be able to claim a payment of £5 plus VAT per home delivery to shielded patients. Um, But the important point is that the contractor can only do the delivery service and claim the payment where no volunteer or suitable person is available to deliver their prescription to the shielded patient. 
so contractors are de facto compelled to use the volunteers and that is causing a lot of concern for contractors and I don't think that concern is misplaced and um, because although a huge number of people have volunteered to support the NHS and vulnerable people I think as of last week it was about three quarters of a million people have volunteered to help mm. um, yeah, which right. is astounding um, and is it's fantastic there, there's no requirement or, or precondition to be a volunteer. So people going on the, the register of volunteers are not, for example, being DBS checked um, or what in Scotland you call Disclosure Scotland down here, the, the Disclosure and Buying Service, they're not being DBS checked. And I think if, it would be my could, Sorry, sorry, go on. sorry to interrupt. Yeah, just to, just to interrupt. I believe in Scotland they do have to be uh, CBS check, yeah. I mean, I think it's probably must... important for me to caveat anything I say to you during the podcast by by reference to the fact that I practice in England and Wales um, and in the Republic of Ireland. I'm, I'm not on the role of solicitors in Scotland and actually don't do any Scottish pharmacy advice. So anything I have said um, in relation to pharmacy contracting is is England centric and in relation to the GPHC, obviously the GPHC regulates pharmacists in Scotland and England and Wales. So that's that applies across the spectrum. Um, but certainly under this this new the, the amended terms of service for pharmacists in England, um, they are being compelled to use the volunteers. And um, it, it, we have been told that volunteers are it's going to be done through a thing called the Good SAMAP. And I don't know if you're familiar with this. I actually advised on that years ago in a different context in that it was how they collated details of first responders and who would apply, who would respond to people in the community having, for example, a cardiac arrest. And, and I was asked by an organisation and whether their members, if they signed up to the app, had an obligation to respond if somebody in their area had a cardiac arrest, and, and there was no obligation. And but the good sound map is now being repurposed, or its purpose is being extended, in order uh, to harvest and and work with people who are signing up to be NHS volunteers. And we've been told that the volunteers will receive some training and advice about delivering medicines, but the training that's going to be provided to them has not actually been published yet. So we, we don't know what training specifically they're, they're going to be receiving. My concern about the use of volunteers is that I think it would be naive to presume that there won't be any outliers who sign up to be NHS volunteers. And what I mean by outliers are people who are not suitable to be dealing with vulnerable people or not suitable to be engaging with the public in that way or, or who aren't trustworthy. And I'm sorry to say that because 99.99% of people who sign up to be volunteers, and it's a huge number of people, are doing so from the very best of intentions. Um, and they're doing an incredible public service, frankly. Um, but I think there should be a, some limitation on what we ask volunteers to do. 
and I am concerned about the issues arising from volunteers delivering prescription medicine and a number of pharmacists have expressed concern about the potential liability uh, upon them from use of volunteers and I think that that is a real risk and um, so the, the particular thing that people have asked about is is the concept of vicarious liability and, mm -hmm. and what is vicarious liability so vicarious liability is basically the the legal principle that uh, if you're an employer or trustee of a charity or if you're somebody who uses a third party to do things for you you can be liable for their actions but for their wrongful actions or or negligent actions or omissions so uh, examples would be for example um schools that have been held liable for uh, abuse of pupils by care workers um, who were employed by the school to care for pupils um, but vicarious liability there's actually been a raft of cases about vicarious liability in, in recent years and in general uh, vicarious liability is interpreted quite widely so what I mean by that is that it is generally interpreted in favour of the person wishing to bring the claim and employers and charities um, have been held to be responsible for the actions of those they engage in a wide variety of circumstances. Um, a good example is that that's relatable to pharmacy is that in dentistry you might be aware that you generally have a principal who will be the dentist who owns the practice and holds the contract with NHS England and they will have self-employed associates. So the associate dentists are individual self-employed contractors who are obliged to hold their own insurance and the principal is not supposed to have any liability for them. But where there have actually in recent years been cases where patients have tried to pursue the owner of a practice in which they were treated by an associate and the courts have held the principal dentist liable because rather than just accepting, oh, they're a self-employed associate, they look at the degree of control exercised over the person. So they, they look at the actual circumstances. And in the particular dentistry case I'm thinking of, they looked at the fact that um, the principal dentist uh, their reception staff assigned patients to the associate, the principal dentist specified the hours they wished the associate to work. You know, there was a close relationship there. And in pharmacy with the volunteers, the pharmacists aren't going to select and engage the volunteers themselves, as I understand it, but they will have a degree of control over them. Because when you actually look at the service specification, the pharmacist is obliged to satisfy themselves that the volunteer that attends to deliver the, the medicine is suitable to do so. And I think that's a very significant responsibility to place on the pharmacist because if a volunteer turns up to your uh, pharmacy to deliver medicines um, to somebody, 
I really don't see unless they are actively, you know, very clearly under the influence of drugs or alcohol. I really don't see how the pharmacist is supposed to satisfy themselves uh, that the volunteer is a suitable person to be delivering the medicine. And, um, you know, how, how can you make that assessment that they're an appropriate person uh, in the absence of a DBS? check or something really obvious like being under the influence of drugs or alcohol um, yeah. and that that does concern me if these concerns may come to nothing there may be no incidence of volunteers interfering with patients prescription medications or swapping prescription medications or harming patients to whom they're supposed to deliver medications there may be zero cases of that occurring, but I suspect that the courts will at a future date be called upon to determine whether pharmacies are liable for the actions of volunteers and called upon to, to deliver medicines to patients where things have gone wrong, unfortunately. Mm. And and going back to the vicarious um, liability bit, I mean... Yes. I know it's hard for you to generalise and speak in general terms around, you know, many pharmacies and many volunteers, but based yeah. on what you're saying around vicarious liability, yeah. if it goes to court, it, it, yeah. so, well, let's say there's an event and it goes to court and you go yeah. through the motions, generally the the volunteer will be protected and, and probably the pharmacist who okayed the inclusion of that volunteer going by the service specification would probably be liable. Is that fair? Uh, I mean, it's oversimplifying it a little bit. I don't want yeah, to put the frighteners on pharmacists saying, and um, you'll definitely be held liable because you know there are cases, for example, that have said that where what the employee does is a million miles away from what they're supposed to do. So for example, a deliberate criminal act that couldn't possibly have been foreseen, then you won't be liable in those circumstances. So, you know, the law on this is complex and, it, and, I, and I don't want to massively oversimplify it, but what I would definitely say that you can feel safe to say is that if you are a patient or a patient's representative wishing to bring a claim as a result of some kind of mishap or event that has occurred and um, are you going to go after an individual volunteer or are you going to go after a pharmacy business I mean mm. uh, you know looking at it from it from a purely economic perspective who are you going to think is likely to be a better defendant so I think it's undoubtedly the case that where there is a, an event the pharmacy rather than the volunteer will be brought into it um, I suspect that we'll end up with a case where we have several defendants, where the first defendant might be the pharmacy, the second defendant might be the volunteer, and the third defendant might be NHS England, for example. You know, mm -hmm. All of this stuff we're talking about is so novel in that even two months ago, who would have thought in a million years that a pharmacist would be handing over control drugs to a random volunteer that just appeared in their pharmacy um, and asked to be given the drugs, you know. So, so these are really novel issues. And, yeah. and uh, but yeah, I am. And I did, right, go on. No, I did. I did notice on the control drug front, unless I'm not mistaken, um, schedule four and five 
the service spec says it's the the pharmacist has to use the professional judgment in that regard yeah yeah i mean that's one of the things about the service specification that i think um you know to be frank i think it's somewhat unfair that mm. i don't think it's fair to say to pharmacists you have to use volunteers so we're forcing you to do this but you also have to satisfy yourself that they're an appropriate person and um, i feel that that's placing the burden of it onto pharmacy in a manner that's unfair you know i think it would be a lot fairer if they said and um, we'll fund you to do a proper delivery service because this delivery service that was announced on friday night it really is very very limited in that and um, you you the pharmacist can only use it if there really is nobody else who could possibly do the delivery and it's only for patients in the limited category of being shielded patients and um, and i think it would be fairer if they said to pharmacists you know we'll fund you to do this service if you want you can use volunteers and if you choose to keep the money yourself and use volunteers well then the risk is all on you that would be completely fair because that would be a pharmacy choosing to absorb the funding for the delivery service and and, and effectively make a profit or or increase the practice of income by relying on volunteers but what i think is very unfair is to say you must use volunteers and the risk is on you and I think that it would be more appropriate if NHS England did something like reassure pharmacists that uh, the clinical negligence scheme for trust or the clinical negligence scheme for general practice will kick in and respond to any events arising from use of volunteers to deliver medicines. And, and that reassurance hasn't been given at this time, and I, and I think it's really needed. And um, because yeah. this use of volunteers is, is worrying uh, a large number of pharmacists and and I don't think they're concerned or unfounded. Whereas in relation to the GPHC, I think people should be very reassured and all, all the right notes are coming from the regulatory bodies. I think in relation to this use of volunteers, um, people's concerns are well-founded. And I, and I think NHS England should do more to reassure pharmacists using the volunteer service. Yeah, definitely. I think. I mean, I think you need to um, we need to consider it more widely. And maybe I need to paint paint a more pharmacy related picture because your insights are so valuable, but they're 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 very legally focused, which is absolutely why I invited you on, which is perfect. But you know, if you consider the shielded group who are mm. to receive these prescriptions. My first yeah. thought actually wasn't misdirection of of controlled drugs, for example. That that as a pharmacist, that didn't overly uh, pique my okay. sort of uh, caution, uh, okay. uh, spidey senses. It was more it was more the risk actually, because in that vulnerable group, we can ill afford to make um errors yeah. or mistakes yeah. basically you know and, yeah. and a lot of these people the other thing you need we need to uh, recognize is that a lot of these people get multi-dose compliancy it's now one of the best ways to do harm is and there have been some significant cases uh, one in scotland a few years ago and one down down in the south coast of england i believe you can look them up um, mm -hmm. basically where these multi-dose compliances have gone to the wrong person Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so in that case it's the risk is multiplied because you know it's not just one drug so it's not just getting mm -hmm, the wrong blood mm -hmm. pressure tablets getting a mm -hmm, whole set mm -hmm. of drugs 
that are wrong. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I do honestly on the delivery front, I do feel sorry for the for the contractor. This is they're in a real bind here, and the way it's been the way it's been done as well is makes it makes it difficult for them. I feel they're they're being mm -hmm. the fact that it's an essential service really sets yeah. the tone. They're being sort of commanded to do this, as it were. Um, yeah. I think um, I think also we need to mention the the payment because payment does sort of link to risk in a way i think yeah. because yeah. you know if payment is lavished upon a service then yeah. you know the risk can be you know they can the contractor could conceivably invest heavily quite quickly and really mitigate a lot of the risks but mm -hmm, again, mm -hmm. especially for the essential service andrew i don't know what you think but a yeah. lot of the payments are very piecemeal and i think yeah. Even for the advanced service, it's what is it, five pounds of delivery or something? I mean, mm, mm. I didn't see any. I didn't see any mention of of a mileage allowance or this kind of thing. So mm, mm. I just find the whole thing a bit arbitrary, a bit mm, a little mm. bit ill-conceived. Mm. Possibly, possibly I'm being unfair, but could it have been well, written by someone? Nothing to be unfair at all. And um, there's a real issue in terms of funding that's being provided to pharmacy to respond to coronavirus i don't know what the rationale behind that is and i mean you you probably saw simon stevens letter back in well, it's quite a while ago now it would have been and i think was, i think his letter was dated the uh let me think, 17th of March, it was on St. Patrick's Day. So Simon Stevens issued this letter on the 17th of March and he made the very specific point. Uh, I, I don't know if you're familiar with the letter I'm talking about. So basically on the 17th of March, Simon Stevens issued this letter to chief execs of every NHS trust, every foundation trust, every CCG, every GP practice, every provider of community health service, every primary care network. It went, you know, all over and the nhs saying we need you to prepare for this pandemic and uh, and ask them to do things for like uh, postpone all non-urgent elective surgery urgently yeah. discharge everybody who could possibly uh, be discharged and told them that they were um, massively increasing their supplies of oxygen, their supplies of ventilators and that they were by block buying beds in private hospitals. So, so he issued this, you know, it was a detailed document, it was about a 20 page long letter. But one of the things that he said in this letter that he issued is that we will provide you with additional funding and um, to cover your extra cost of responding to the coronavirus and um, and he quoted the chancellor of the exchequer saying that whatever extra resources our nhs needs to cope with coronavirus it will get and he specifically said financial constraints must not and will not stand in the way of taking immediate and necessary action whether that be in terms of your staffing your facilities your equipment uh, anything you need, it's going to be funded. And so mm -hmm. what I found quite odd in the week since then, and this letter is only a month old, it was the 17th of March and we're now on the 14th of April, what I found quite odd is that that letter was issued 
And in some areas of the health services, I understand that funding has very much been forthcoming. But for pharmacy, that, that funding is, is not, well, I say pharmacy in England, that funding is not being forthcoming. Now, as I understand it in Scotland, they got an additional, I'm going to say five and a half million, I think it was a, a substantial sum like that. But in England, yes, right. so far, the, it, it was 5.5 million. So far, the only extra money, and um, so although an advance has been provided just to ease cash flow, that, that's not extra funding. That's only pharmacists own money that they're getting a little bit extra and, and it just kicks the problem down the road and the only extra funding so far has been the bit of funding you know and it's a modest sum and um, in respect of putting uh, plastic sort of shields in place at the, the tills of your pharmacy that you're allowed a small sum per pharmacy in respect of that and the money in respect of the delivery service which is yeah, as we've gone through, is, is very is very limited. The maximum from any pharmacy is going to get in respect of that is, is five hundred and sixty three pounds a month, and then the charge per actual delivery in the limited circumstances where they're not compelled to use a volunteer and or, or literally no family member volunteer anybody is available to collect mm. or deliver the prescription, then they'll get five pounds per home delivery. So I see a real contradiction between Simon Stevens' letter on the one hand, um, which is extremely reassuring, and the funding that's actually been made available to community pharmacy on the other hand. Um, and I don't understand what the cause of that contradiction is, because the reality is the community pharmacy has absolutely stepped forward and has taken a massive amount of the strain, certainly in primary care, of dealing with patients um, so absolutely. and so I, I don't and i'm sorry to cut across I, I, I no don't no go what, ahead what i don't i mean this is the kind of have a go journalist coming out here but i couldn't agree with you more andrea the narrative from the center particularly from matt hancock is you know that that cliche that he's trotted out whatever it takes you know the tory government at the moment <laughs> not giving away my politics but they, they do like a slogan you know get brexit yeah. done it takes all this stuff so that doesn't you're absolutely right that does not match what's happening yeah. on the ground and what yeah. what i'm what i'm intrigued to know is where is the clogging of the system who is it in that system that's sabotaging um community yeah. pharmacy because maybe if we can work that out then we yeah. could sort of bypass them i i do wonder yeah. it it feels like to use a cliche the tail's wagging the dog and you know, are the politicians able to hold the likes of Simon Stevens to account? I'm just not mm. sure about that. That is mm. a question that I would like to ask, Mr. Ahanko. Mm. Um, mm. You know, uh, Matt, give me an example of when you've said something and, and Mr. Stevens has actually done it, you know, mm. <laughs> you know mm. in pharmacy terms. You know, that would be quite yeah. an interesting conversation. But I, I don't yeah. know, maybe that's not where the kink is. I, I, I don't know, but going mm. back to our delivery thing, it, it's having a meaningful negative effect right mm, now. And mm, uh, mm. Whatever, wherever that ideology comes from to kill off community pharmacy in its current form, mm. Um, mm. I think it needs to stop and, um, and mm. we need to we need to understand it and and, mm. and politicize our approach to it. I mean, mm. using social media and all and on all that to sort mm. of 
raise our case is, is all but meaningless. Um, mm. There's a wider thought piece for our mm. profession. I mean, one, yeah. I know we're going off the legals of it a bit, but surely, yeah. to goodness, surely to goodness, the greatest value proposition of our of pharmacy now is the yeah. fact that we've got a network of, of outlets mm-hmm. in every, mm-hmm. every mm-hmm. town that mm-hmm. during the time of the pandemic can be absolutely mm-hmm. put to government use to ensure the mm-hmm. supply chain of medicines. It's never been better demonstrated, really. I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of community pharmacy, and um, as you've, you've probably gathered anyway from, from some of the views, the personal views I may have expressed on, on social media, but it's simply that having been out and spent time um, in client pharmacies and seeing the work they actually do within their communities, which an awful lot of the time goes way beyond medicines, and it's more like a, a social service, frankly, I have great respect for the work done in community pharmacy and I you know to put it in really blunt terms I don't know what the problem is at the moment but it's really irritating me in the half this letter was was issued in March saying we'll give you anything we you need and now actually getting additional funding out of NHS England seems to be like getting blood out of the stone now it's important for me to caveat what I'm saying by highlighting that I am not privy at all to what's going on within PSNC and I know the PSNC will be fighting to get every penny possible for contractors um, but I don't think simply for simply on the basis of the the information that's been put out by PSNC I don't think they're thrilled either with the ease of extracting funding from the government and you know they have openly said uh, they have used the term disappointed on a number of occasions already Um, Mm. and I, I can't imagine that it would have been PSNC's choosing that the details of the delivery service were you know weren't published until late on the night of of good friday and you know it's uh the short answer is i don't know what what is what is going on i know the psnc will be doing everything possible to extract every penny possible for contractors and and no doubt supported strongly in that regard by the other bodies like the npa and the cca and and aim and uh, but but I think that there is a real a really unfair contradiction between the letter that Simon Stephen issued on the 17th of March, the way in which Community Pharmacy uh, immediately responded to that, um, and through everything, uh, meeting the suddenly massively increased demand, and then the fact that that letter has not yet been backed up by the additional funding that should be coming into community pharmacy um, and I, I would really urge Keith Ridge, Simon Stevens, I would really urge them Matt Hancock to act upon it um, because there, there's an argument to be made that certainly in terms of protecting secondary care in the NHS there is nothing more important than community pharmacy at the moment and um, the, the, the more people that can be assisted to stay safe at home and shield and receive some primary care services, uh, healthcare services through community pharmacy, the better that is for NHS secondary care, which can be kept free or as free as possible to deal with the most sick patients. 
So I think it's a false economy as well, apart from anything else, in terms of the logic too, I think it's a false economy not to be giving community pharmacy what it needs at the moment. Tend to agree. So I suppose the, the, the last question on the delivery front, yeah. what what kind of reassurances or, or sort of brief advice can you give to contractors as they're as they're engaging? And I'm conscious here that you're not advising an individual or an individual business. You're sort of mm-hmm. you're just giving sort of general advice to, to these guys that have to make decisions about taking on volunteers. What reassurance can I give them? Um, well, contractors have to satisfy themselves that the person is an appropriate person to deliver medicines. And um, I, I don't see how that can feasibly be done in a brief period of time and um, because really to satisfy yourself that somebody's an appropriate person you know you would want the minimum to dbs check them to interview them and um, and that's just not going to be possible based on the volume based on the number of volunteers that are going to be coming into each pharmacy all all i i think really I can say is that if somebody, you know, that it's important to check that a volunteer is clearly not under the influence of drugs or alcohol or that there is nothing else conspicuously wrong, and I say wrong in speech marks, there is nothing else conspicuously wrong with them, and that there is nothing that, that gives you a, a reason not to be satisfied that there's an appropriate person. I think that apart from that, Contractors unfortunately have no option but to proceed on the basis that they are an appropriate person, and um, because there's no opportunity for contractors to do a more thorough check on them, I think in terms of reassurance, and um, it's important to remember again that 99.99% of people who sign up to become NHS volunteers are doing so from a place of being completely altruistic, decent citizens. And it's highly unlikely that anyone acting as a volunteer you know, will have a malign intention. Um, so, so these risks that I'm expressing, they're minuscule. It's simply that if they eventuate, they're going to be very serious. Um, and I suppose then in terms of um, Further reassurance, if a contractor was to be the subject of a claim from a patient or a patient's family as a result of an action by a volunteer, I think the first thing any solicitor would advise them to do in defending that claim would be to bring in NHS England as a co-defendant and and really apportion and transfer the, the, the blame or the claim onto NHS England rather than the individual pharmacist. So I would be very surprised if individual pharmacies ultimately ended up being liable for the actions of volunteers that they were compelled to use by NHS England. Um, But being honest about it, all these issues are things that ultimately would have to be determined by the court. There is no black and white answer at this time because it is a completely unprecedented event. And And that's the problem. No, I was just going to say, I'm sorry that the answer I'm given isn't more reassuring, because I would love to say, don't worry about it, I have no concerns about this whatsoever, but unfortunately that's not the way 
I feel about it, I, I think it is quite concerning um, the volunteer situation. So I'm, I'm sorry, my answer has been more reassuring. I wish it was. Well, but that 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 opinion is based on on your experience of 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 years of being a, a solicitor in this field. So you know, I think people would do well to listen to it. I think I think we've offset that sort of. Neither of us want to sort of scaremonger around this this thing yeah. because because we we are where we are and it's a difficult situation and so on and so forth. But I hope your realistic view on it, accompanied with the the sort of advice that you've you've set out beside it um, mm. is in, in some way reassuring but but at the end of the day we, we can't be there to make the decision for these guys they, you know these pharmacy mm. owners and pharmacists have to decide themselves and that's that's really difficult to be honest well with my non-lawyer head on uh, just with my person head on i think it's ridiculous that pharmacists even have to be worried about this at the moment and um, yeah. you know this is just not a worry that pharmacists and pharmacies should have to contend with at the current time um, and it irritates me that they're even being put in that position it's ridiculous so i'm hoping that pressure will be brought to bear and um, such that that proper funding and arrangements are put in place urgently really because you know th th this should already be resolved frankly fingers crossed that happens but anyway mm. it's been um it's we, we've never spoken actually uh before, before no! this so it's been it's been absolutely lovely a breath of fresh air you are andrea very good to talk to you <laughs> and lots of stuff there that folk can hopefully um uh, hopefully maybe feel they're not on their own you know um, no they're definitely we, not we they're definitely not i mean we can't sort out all those gray areas but there's a lot of information and advice you've given there that's that's really really good so thank you very much no look it's an absolute pleasure to speak to you thanks for inviting me on and um, and if i could do anything else to assist of course give me another call and um, but yeah thanks very much for your time it's been lovely to chat to you too see you andrea thank you bye 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 Bye-bye.